Hi, this is John Burlingame, host of Disney's Four Scores podcast. In this podcast series, we bring together the most accomplished film and television composers working today and reveal the emotional journeys, inspirations, and unique challenges of their work. Our guest today is an eight-time Academy Award winner, all for songs and scores for Disney movies, including The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Pocahontas. He also has 11 Grammys, an Emmy and a Tony, making him that rare individual who has become what awards obsessives call an EGOT. Some of his other Disney projects have included Newsies, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Tangled, and Enchanted. He's with us to talk about his latest project, a sequel to Enchanted, cleverly titled Disenchanted, now airing on Disney+. Welcome, Alan Menken. Thank you, John. It's great to be with you. Let's start by looking back at Enchanted, if we can, which turned out to be the movie that catapulted Amy Adams to stardom back in 2007. This was a really smart takeoff on the classic Disney concept of a fairy tale kingdom and a girl who hopes to marry a prince and live happily ever after. And then she winds up in a very unfairy tale like New York City. What are your memories of working on Enchanted? Well, first of all, I remember really anticipating this project. I would hear about it before I was involved with it and just say, this is the best idea. The idea that an animated ingenue has a spell put on her and is plopped unprepared into our world. And then when the project came my way, I was absolutely thrilled. Stephen Schwartz and I had worked on some more weighty projects with Pocahontas and Hunchback, and this was lighter for us, and it was a great change of pace. We had a fantastic time working on it. The first movie was directed by Kevin Lima, and Amy was amazing. I learned a lot about her. Obviously a wonderful actress, but she actually came out of, like, dinner theater up in, I think, Minnesota, and loved musicals. And that made it obviously so joyful, which it would have been anyway, but she was just amazing to work with. We really wanted to capture at the very top of Enchanted that ineffable style of the early Walt animations. And so I remember we went through a lot of iterations of the of the opening number until we all went, ah, that feels just right. That was a True Love's Kiss. Oh, interesting. And that's, of course, now one of the most famous songs of, of all. You wanted that very, I've been dreaming of a true love's kiss. You know, 1930s, 1940s. Then with each number, it kind of chronologically moved forward in a way in the Disney ethos. So when you got to Happy Working Song, we're more in the kind of Cinderella early 50s. When you get to uh, That's How You Know, we're more in kind of in the 70s or 80s, you know. Our work, really, it was a kind of a wink at that. There was talk about they really wanted the score to be kind of a pastiche of Disney music, including a pastiche of my music. So they were actually reluctant to go to me at first. I said, I, I can do a pastiche of me. <laughs> and then, yeah, so you go from there and then, you know, so close and then ever, ever after. And the score just sort of mapped itself almost in a chronological way through the the many influences of, of Disney. So it was so much fun to write that and work on that. It you know, obviously laid the groundwork for the sequel that we're now releasing.
So when were you approached with the idea for a sequel? Has this been a long time coming? Oh, it's been for <laughs> uh, probably probably since since the day after Enchanted opened. Uh, there's been discussions about how what, would there be a follow up? How would the follow up happen? And it just moved wildly in all kinds of directions, as often happens. I mean, what happens a lot at, I guess, with any film, or certainly at, at, with dis- Disney Pictures, is there's rumors about this is going to happen or that's going to happen or this person says I would love to do a sequel to Enchanted and next thing it's established as a fact and then I go chasing my own tail going wait 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 what's, what's going on <laughs> and that's still you know it's still happening now with projects where I go really? so there was lots of activity and then finally it began to become real about almost five years ago and again, it, it started to move forward, then it slowed, then came the pandemic. When Adam Shankman came aboard as director, uh, Richard Holly as the writer, Stephen and I were approached again to, to write the score. And what it comes down to is what happens the, the day after Happily Ever After. Yes, indeed. And I've always thought that Disenchanted was one of the greatest titles for a movie sequel I've ever heard. It's not just clever, it actually addresses a key point in the storyline. Yeah, yeah. It's a really smart concept. Um, and I, and it was amazing seeing it evolve to where it evolved to. Because Stephen and I would be saying, we have to make sure that we set in motion the proper structure for a song-driven story and all those elements and how much of a musical will it be. So are you guys actually involved in the creation of the storyline itself? Well, of necessity we are because it has to break into song with characters. So they'll certainly be, you know, Bridget would write a story or a structure and then we would all work on it together. But it really came down to why are we singing? What is the arc that takes us to the happy ending that we want want to have here? What's What's the journey? How do we use... The other characters, especially Morgan. Yeah, who, who's the young teenage girl? Right, and 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 the love interest Tyson, and you know all, all the characters in Monroeville, which is the little town in suburbia that they go to from New York. Yeah, 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 exactly. So all of that structurally had to be made singable. Then Stephen and I hit the ground running with the songs. So was the cast was the cast already set then? So did you know that you were specifically writing for specific actors and actresses? Not at the very beginning. Well, we knew obviously it was gonna be Amy and Patrick. There would be a, you know, a new character from Morgan and Gabby and Maya. Maya Rudolph. Oh, she's so interesting. I can't wait to get into that one. She's amazing. <laughs> but how we use those characters, how we play with tropes, musical tropes, the key to it is Andalasia being where Giselle comes from is this ideal early Disney paradigm. You know, she's gotten to happily ever after, and then she realizes in, in, in our world that there is no happily ever after. Right. You know, you, you, you fall in love and then you get older or you fall out of love or your daughter is has angst and unhappiness, your, your husband is feeling pressured and... Giselle makes a wish, and the wish is, I want 
at Andalasia back in this world. I want I want my daughter to have that happiness. And that comes via a, uh, a wishing wand that's brought by Nancy and Edward, Adina Menzel and James Marsden. And they come with this wishing wand and she makes the wish. But what she doesn't realize is that in our world, she's not the mother. She's the stepmother. And that's another fa fascinating moment that harkens back to so many yeah, classic Disney films. So we're still, you know, we're playing with the tropes. And that really makes it, a, you know, a lot of fun. And how do you navigate that wish so it works its way through a crisis and into a, you know, a beautiful, miraculous, happy ending? <laughs> It's also fascinating to me that there are actually more songs in this than there were in Enchanted. I don't know, maybe as many as seven or eight, something like that? There were actually more. We actually had a few numbers that we loved that were cut. It was a matter of story development and, of course, timing and audience reaction, etc. Some of those numbers, they, they were filmed and also recorded, and so like, audiences will at least be able to hear the cut songs. But all, all in all, I think we wrote about maybe 10 or 11 song moments. Yeah. How do you and Steven work together? Do you get in a room and bounce ideas around? Or do you create music first and then does Steven add words? How does that work? Generally, I will create music first. I find there's always a more interesting result if, in fact, I go for music first rather than lyric first because I can kind of rough up the form more, make it more more specific to the musical concept. Stephen loves that as well, so it ends up being just a fantastic way for us to work. We'll get in the room, we'll talk about the song moment, we'll go through the list of questions we have to ask ourselves. Where is the song starting? <laughs> Where is it going? What are they doing as they sing the song? What are we seeing? What plot elements are we are we revealing? And of course, what world are we in with this song? And so I'll often ask, you know, if I was going to stick in another song of, of mine or anyone else's, what would be the, you know, it's like the eye test. Is this better? Is this better? <laughs> is this better? Is and so you find that spot where you go, yes, it's that's the sweet spot of what we want this song to be. And then I will, at that point, you know, start to move my hands towards the piano and start just playing with ideas. Luckily, I'm very fluid with ideas. You know, one of the benefits of doing this for as many years as I've done it or Stephen has done it is we're not self-conscious about, oh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, that sucked. Oh, that was, that's, you know, that's good. I mean, sometimes it'll be, oh my God, that was awful. And Steve goes, no, wait a second, I like that. <laughs> and so often some of my mistakes will find their way into, you know, sort of the DNA of a song because it was, I no, I like that little twist of of melody or whatever it was. That's the fun the fun part of creation. Oh, it's so much fun. And it's especially fun with Stephen and me because we both basically are composers. We both are lyricists. So we both have a lot of security about what we're putting out there. And also we, co we come from the same cradle, so to speak. Of musical theater. Of musical theater and pop. So we have a wonderful time just go, okay, we just play in the room. And then once we have the basic germs of an idea, I, I start to create a structure and I'll usually overwrite 
I'll give him you know something to cut back and then he'll come back with a lyric and say oh I, I think could we repeat this section repeat that or bury this can we do this there and etc and then it's, it becomes just a matter of using the elements that we've come up with in the room and just begin to now put them together and you just nothing is precious yeah. you know and that's I think why the result is ends up being so good there's nothing that is not throw outable and it's really up to what works number one in the story in the film on the stage whatever it is but also with everyone involved because you know it's going to go past Adam Shankman it's going to go past Bridget it's going to go past Barry Josephson and Sean Bailey and all the people at Disney and all their opinions are valuable and and necessary you know as I did with Howard Ashman sure you put that demo down and more often than not, people go, oh, my God, we love this. <laughs> and and then we get to, you know, a couple of little adjustments here and there. Sometimes you'll run into a problem where we go, oh, my God, we love this. And we, and we say, I think we need to change it or <laughs> rewrite it. Oh, no, we love it. Where I think most people have a problem with selling an idea. I have an equal problem with unselling <laughs> an idea and supplanting it with a new one. But that's, you know, that's the process. Stephen and I, we, we love the process. Sometimes when numbers are cut, there could be a little bit of grumbling. Um, but then, we, you know, we've been down these roads for so many years in so many ways. We just shrug our shoulders and go, okay. Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Alan Menken's Songs and Score for Disenchanted. The Four Scores playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you like. Let me ask you about a couple of the specific songs in the score. Amy Adams, early on, sings even more Enchanted. I think that's at the point where they first moved to suburbia. Right, they're on their way to suburbia, yeah. right. Uh, was there something about that song uh, that uh, connects you somehow to the previous movie? Well, the basic sandbox I'm working in is the primal Disney sandbox. I've always said, you know, at its best, Disney is the ultimate safe space. And that comes across through harmonies that are sort of equivalent would be primary colors, but that are uplifting, that are young in spirit, that are energetic. And certainly you very much want the I get it moment. <laughs> you want as early as possible in, in, in the process for the audience to go, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get where we're going. I get what we're doing. You know, and as soon as Amy says, you know, she starts to break into the song and, and, and Morgan is going, oh my God, she's going to sing again. And you want to go into this, just the happiest little song you've ever heard. You want it to be tuneful, rhythmic. You know, you want to fall in love with a musical moment and have it be exactly the right flavor, no, especially knowing that we're going to uh, undermine that tone later on in the score. So we give ourselves something to play against as well as use it for that moment. Mm -hmm. 
so then uh, just a bit later when she sings Fairy Tale Life, it's in two different versions, almost two different Giselles. Well, yes, Giselle is making the wish and she's longing for that fairy tale life. And we reach the end of the last chorus of the song. And she goes, oh, I guess it didn't work. And the music continues and little things are happening, like all of a sudden these birds land on her windowsill and talk to her for a second. And she goes, oh, and she doesn't really notice, (laughs) but the spell is happening. And then, of course, the spell explodes all over and everything is singing in in that world. You know, she goes out to the kitchen in this new house and the appliances are singing. And, <laughs> and her daughter, who was unhappy, you know, is, is suddenly skipping into the kitchen, ecstatic about sweeping and cleaning up. <laughs> and, you know, so we're going into the, the, you know, the early Disney paradigm. Right. Again. Right. Back into that world. I have to ask you about one of my absolute favorite songs in the score, which is Badder. Um, I was going to describe it as a as a duet, <laughs> but it's really more of a duel between two powerful villainesses. Yeah. Tell us about writing Badder. Well, yes, we knew it was, was going to be the face-off of the, of the two evil divas, <laughs> because, because at this point, Giselle has all of the various evil characteristics of the stepmother. I, You know, my first musical thought was, I, I want to be playful about this. I thought about the whole of the Mountain King, you know. <laughs> so I began with, with that kind of sneaky motif, and then it sort of began to take on a little more, you know, edge to it and, and Latin to it and a little bit more danceability to it. It's kind of a tango, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, but it's got elements of tango, of jazz, and of classical. Because uh, I really wanted that, almost like Fantasia, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right, right. Because throughout Enchanted, I like to draw on those tropes. It, to me, it's very, quote-unquote, classical. I mean, there were places where we did major winks at other things. Yeah. But for me, the basic vocabulary that is Primal Disney goes to classical, operetta, musicals, some jazz, and then, you know, in more contemporary rock and pop, and of course now hip hop and rap, uh, you know, with, with Lynn's work and, and Bobby's work, Bobby yeah. Lopez and Lynn Manuel Miranda. Right. But the classical Disney is, you know, it draws on the very classical tropes. Talk a little bit about Love Power, which seems to me sort of tailored specifically to the amazing voice of Edina Menzel. Oh, it is. And Stephen, <laughs> we wanted to do two winks. I was very brave about this. I want you to know, John, because <laughs> he wanted me to do a major wink at Defying Gravity, Stephen's big act one closer from Wicked, and a major wink at Let It Go from Frozen. And... I said, all right, fine. <laughs> I'll do my own version of that. And in fact, we have, if, lyrically, there's winks, you know, 
uh, let it grow, a little bit of let it go, and there's all kinds of winks at the structure and style of, of Defying Gravity. And we wanted it to be basically her number of power and of Morgan finding her power through finding love power. Yeah, I love that song. I love the way it, it turned out. It was a blast to write that. Find the song inside you that your memory seems to know. Let it grow. Let it glow. Is there a musical handbook for doing fairy tale or magic in a movie like this? Are there common traits for music that makes us feel a certain way? Well, there has to be a comfort in using music as a vocabulary, a meaning that you are winking at and, and playing homage to known musical tropes. And, you know, you, you obviously you don't want to copy something, but what you do want to do is be honed close enough stylistically, harmonically, structurally, so that the listener will go, oh, I, I, I have a, you have a confidence. I know where you're going. You want as much as possible to guide an audience carefully. So there's got to be a comfort with, I, I'm going to do my version of this. There's so many examples of this in what I've written previously. And people may, often they'd have no idea that those, about the influence that were implanted in there. Sometimes it's more obvious, you know, with the prologue in Beauty and the Beast, you know, I had Jeffrey Katzenberg just in love with the Carnival of the Animals, no matter how many times I tried to, to give a prologue that was actually drawn from the song score, he just loved that. And it, it ends up being, of course, iconically, people associate that with me. It's a direct homage. And there's, I have homages all throughout all of my scores. Sometimes you can find them, sometimes you can't find them, but I think what's intrinsic to being an accessible composer is welcoming the influences and using them lovingly and knowing that what you have yourself as a composer is the filter through which that will inevitably come out being a new entity. I had to develop that comfort zone starting with Little Shop of Horrors. Right. Where Howard Howard would bring in, you know, a record of of the Shirelles or Ronettes or what you know, wherever it is, and we'd write a song in that style. And I go, It's oh my god, it's so close. But in the end, it's Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. I know there are people doing their winks at Mankin. <laughs> and that's that's fair game. I guess you've you've reached that age now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a it's its own genre, but it really is an influence of an influence of an influence of an influence. So what I think you know about fairy tales or any of the the times where you want to break into song and really reach an audience on a deeply emotional level, you want to use the threads that are the common threads that we all know. And Enchanted is the ultimate of that, really. Yeah. Or Disenchanted, too. With this magic from Andalasia, when she longs for something hard and soft, she'll use the magic of Andalasia. And if she has questions, just consult the scroll. 
What other Disney projects are occupying you these days or that we can expect to see and hear in the coming months? Well, first of all, the stage musical of, of Hercules will be opening this spring. We, it, we, we premiered it at the Delacroix Theater in Central Park in September of 19, August into September of 19. Then the pandemic hit and, and now it's coming back. We'll be opening it, Paper Mill Playhouse in New York as a premiere engagement. And then I think it will sort of, we'll see where it goes from there. The plan is not immediately Broadway. You know, we said that with Newsies, one never knows. So, so that's one. There's all kinds of talk about, and there's been for quite a while, a Hercules live action. And that's still in very nascent stages. And I'm still trying to, we're all trying to figure out where that's going. We're doing a, not so much a live Beauty and the Beast on ABC this holiday season, but I guess it becomes kind of a tribute, homage to Beauty and the Beast with a combination of live singers and original movie. The pop artist Her playing Belle and Josh Groban as the Beast. Marty Sh Martin Short is playing Lumiere. Joshua Henry is Gaston. Oh, Shania Twain is Mrs. Potts. <laughs> and that's coming in December. That's coming in December. Um, my next animated is actually with John Lasseter at Skydance. And that's, it's called Spellbound. And we've been working on that for a couple of years. And uh, it's really exciting work going on with that. What's happening with The Little Mermaid? Well, The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid is basically filmed. There's some adjustments being made, but uh, the score is 99% complete with a couple of cues. I just got an email this morning about some adjustments that are being made, so I'll be rewriting some cues. It's it's wonderful. Great. It's really wonderful. Now, that, now, now that's uh, you, there are new songs in that, right? In addition to the old... Yes, I've written... I wrote four new songs with Lin-Manuel Miranda as my lyricist. And the songs really are a hybrid of our styles. And, and we've had we had so much fun working together. I've said this many times. I knew Lin when he was a little kid. He was the ultimate Disney fanatic <laughs> and mermaid fanatic. And of course, when you get to know Lin, you know, he's just the ultimate fanatic in general. He's so many passions and it's... It's a lesson on, you know, when somebody grows up that passionately attached to something artistic, they, you know, it ends up just bursting out of them with, you know, amazing creativity. And he's like that. So we wrote four new songs together for the, for the film. A new song for Ariel, a song for, for Scuttle and, and Sebastian, a song for Prince Eric, of course, and, and a song for King Triton. I'm sure there'll be some adjustments made here and there and make, I hope all the songs stick. But what's there is so beautiful. It's impossible for me to look at Little Mermaid without, you know, immediately going back to Howard. Yeah. And going, God, I hope it, you know, I wish on some level he was seeing this, but then I, maybe it's my own comfort level. I go, oh, I, I feel on some level he is seeing this. Yeah, sure. But, you know, of course, that's a mystery to all of us. But it's so precious. Little Shop of Horrors keeps getting revived and I, they'll sing somewhere that's green and I'll be crying. I'll go, Beauty's being done, and Beauty and the Beast, I'm crying. Uh, Proud of your boy, I'm crying. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's very, very emotional. And God knows, you know, when Halle Bailey sings Part of Your World, I just, 
I remember when I first saw it, I, I just said, okay, just bring the box of tissues over here. I'm just going to go through all of them while I watch this because it just was so emotional. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, Rob Marshall is, is amazing as a director. And uh, so it's just, just such a privilege to work with him. It's so satisfying and wonderful. Well, it's a privilege for us to spend a few minutes with you, Alan. Uh, thanks for talking with us. We're so excited, not only about Disenchanted, but about all these projects that are coming up. So thank you for being with us today. It's always a joy to talk with you. Same here. Thanks. Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Alan Menken's songs and score for Disenchanted. The Four Scores playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you like. Check out Disenchanted on Disney Plus and listen to the soundtrack wherever music is enjoyed.